This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning about something that I've titled, You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone. Um, so I had a wedding that I had to do yesterday, and it's, I'm not a big fan of doing weddings. I'd, I'm so happy that we have J.R. Hand, we have Abel Hand, we have everybody else here to do weddings. I'm not a big fan of weddings. I just, I, I just don't like doing them. I just, it, I, I, everybody's got their thing. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> anyway, so I, anyway, I had this, and it was a young couple. And so we had this wedding, and while I was officiating and doing it, it, it there was a side to me that was having a look at them and where they were in life. And it was this moment of happiness and this moment of excitement. There's this moment that everything is, is, is caught up in ecstasy. We're having our wedding, our big day. And I thought, it's the start of a whole new chapter. But really, you have no clue what's coming down the road. This, it's good and it's going to be bad. But the thing is, everybody gets into it thinking it's going to be fabulous. But I thought about that, and I thought that what is so interesting about it is when you get into marriage, marriage, like Paul speaks about it, as being a mystery. And I think part of the mystery is not only the two of you coming together, but part of the mystery introduces us to what are you going to discover in that context? People very often think that they're going to discover so much about their partner, but those are people who haven't been married. <laughs> people who have been married recognize actually you discover more about yourself then you discover about anybody else. And the interesting thing about marriage is it's a journey. And when you take a journey, you go somewhere. And the thing is, you'd never know where you're going to end up. And sometimes you end up at a T-junction. and other places, you end up at a, at a dead end. And other times, you're going this way and that way. And it seems convoluted. And things happen and experiences happen and life happens. And things happen all the time. And in all of that context, we're always at a place where we, we're gaining some kind of understanding. What are you learning about yourself in that moment? It's so, uh, it's so easy for us very often to move to a place where we start getting sucked into the situation and we get unhappy with the situation or the reality that we're confronted with. And we're so busy looking at what's happening outside of ourselves that we don't use the opportunity to read what's happening on the inside of me, and what is really being exposed and made evident that I can read about myself. Life is interesting because it's unpredictable. It is unpredictable. And the thing is, because we get born again, it doesn't mean it's any less unpredictable. It's just as unpredictable. But there are some big changes that are going to take place in our life that are going to change us fundamentally. The thing about it is, is that I find that when we go to those places, we, we often get into situations. Nobody has a problem. It's, it's so funny. After you've done the vows and all the rest of it, everybody goes and then you have your celebration. And everybody is happy and everybody is enjoying the food and everybody is reveling and it's a party and it's wonderful. And, so, and nobody in that moment is thinking about the issues of life because everybody's so happy. But nobody's growing in that space. People grow when you're confronted with something. That's when it's like, okay, now what happens in this space? Very often, people who live a life when they're all in happiness and life is going well and everything's just happy and hunky-dory, they don't think very much about God and church and blah, 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 because things are good. But when the rubber meets the road, 
What time did you say church opens? We will be there early. Why? Because I've suddenly come to a place where there's something more that I need. And it's like I don't feel equipped to be able to handle the space where I am. Sometimes as I've gone through life, I, I've recognized what, one thing that is incredibly valuable for me has been age. Because <laughs> it introduces you to experience. And the thing is, is there, there is so much value in learning some stuff from life. Don't, if, if you're making bad mistakes and you have bad habits, change them. Recognize that, that, that you're kind of running around in the same circle. And in some places, and I, it's, it's, it's hard because we move into a space and things are happening in our life and we, we're looking at what's going on and we don't really understand it because we are well-intentioned and we love God and we're trying to do good things. And I'm not talking about a works program, but we're trying to do, we're trying to live the Christian life. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to walk into a reality of who he is. I'm trying to walk into all of those things. And I find myself in that space. And all of a sudden, it's, I don't deserve this. How did I end up in this place? And I start looking at things and dissecting things. And I start evaluating and appraising and putting this in place and laying blame. And, look at, and you know what the crazy thing about all of that is? You're never going to find God in that place. God's not in your circumstances. And the seduction that we always have is to immerse ourselves in our reality. And if you move into your reality, you're never going to find God there. God is not in your circumstances. The problem with it is, is once we get sucked into that place, the first thing that starts to happen, for me anyway, is we start questioning. Well, why is this happening? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. I don't understand. I don't deserve it. Why is it that it happens to me and that? Why, 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 why? And you know what? There are no answers. You know why? Because I'm living from my reality. And when I don't get answers to myself, what is the first thing I do? I have to go and share my woes with everybody else. And I have to go and tell them about how hard it is and how difficult it is and how I don't understand. And, and, and what am I? I'm looking for them to give me something that I can take and I can use to change the reality that I find myself in. All too often, we try to find God in our circumstances and in our reality when all he's doing is knocking on the door of your heart. He's inside. He's not out in your reality. We get caught in the pandemonium and in the pressure and in the issues and in the stress and everything that's happening out there. And we're running around like a chicken with our heads cut off. And God's like, I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. The reason that it's such a seduction to move to a place where you move into your circumstances and situations is because it invites us to become natural people. So what we do is we move to a place where we start living from the natural, our senses and our brain. We start looking at everything to try and appraise it, to try and understand it, to try and assimilate it. So we put it in the context of what do I have and what can I do to change things? We put ourselves in the place of being the savior of our life. Control is a bad issue. Because what control says is, I don't trust anybody else, including God, to handle it. I like my safe space. And my safe space is that place where I'm managing stuff. 
The challenge is the minute we move into that kind of situation and we immerse ourselves in our reality, it starts to place a demand on me. And suddenly I start looking at myself to see what I'm capable of doing or incapable of doing. And I either feel comfortable because in some places I have the resource, the ability, the skill to be able to change some stuff. But you are going to face some things in life where you feel as though my head is underwater. I can't do this. And what God's really wanting us to do is he's wanting to bring us to a place where we begin to recognize that as I navigate life, I don't live from my circumstances or from my reality, but I begin to live from the truth of Christ in me. I begin to live from the truth of Christ in me. There is a big shift that begins to take place because I'm moving from the dimension of natural and brain and sense and thinking into the spiritual dimension, into a different paradigm. And when I get myself solid and I get myself established in that place, it gives me the resource, the ability, the salvation, the protection, the everything that you're looking for to be able to move in. But it's within you. It's not outside of you. The invitation that God always extends to us is this. Come inside. Come inside. Don't go and live out there in what's happening out, Jesse spoke about it, out in the world. Don't live on what's happening out in your environment. Don't live in what's happening on Capitol Hill. Don't live, on, don't live in all of that stuff because you're never going to find God in that place. Get to the place where I'm coming inside. I'm coming back inside. Why? Because what does he say? He that dwelleth in the secret place. Not he that dwelleth in my environment, in my reality, in my chaos, in my problems, in my situations, in my issues, in my problems, in my difficulties. He that dwelleth in the secret place. He that has learned how to live life by stepping inside shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my strength, my God. In him will I trust. There is a stability and there is a solidness to the way that we live life when we begin to move to the inside, away from the outside. If we're moving inside, the thing about it is we have to be at a place where we have something to be able to live life from. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I speak about this verse quite often because it's it's still... I love empowering verses. This is an empowering one for me. And I want to read it out of um, the New Living Translation. And it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, basically what it's doing is it's esteeming the importance and the significance of the heart dimension. That's part to us, which is the essence and the center of our spirit being. And very often we talk about, because it's so important, God talks about the guarding side. I don't want to speak about that today. What I want to speak about today is the course of your life. We sometimes forget about the fact that God has given us an incredible gift. You have more influence in the course of your life than you perhaps realized. And that's what I want to demonstrate for you today. The reason that it becomes so important is because not only does it provide the empowering 
and the ability, not only does it give definition to both who you are and how you live, but it becomes the place where we move into relationship with God because he's not outside in my circumstance, he's inside. He's going to meet you in that space. He communicates with us spirit to spirit. And so in a hard capacity, what he's saying is, I intentionally build you with that capability and, and that um, uh, ability to influence your life because that is a space where you and I can come into partnership. He can take of who he is and bring it into that space and bring about some change. So he's given us a gift. He's given us a gift to be able to use. The thing about it is, for so many people, what we don't always recognize is that the gift comes at the expense of trust. It comes at the expense of trust. There's only one driver's seat in a car. And if you're comfortable in that place, that's good. But I can tell you now, there's only one driver's seat in that place. If God wants to step into the car, you got to move out. If you don't get out of the driver's seat, he doesn't get in. I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not. This is not about salvation. If you're born again, you have the life of God living on the inside of you. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about that part to who you are, where you've made decisions over life that's, decide, that's determined who you are and what you're all about. And it's, if, if you go and listen to this last few weeks, I can't get into that now. The point about it is this. He's interested in that space. But understand this. For us to be able to partner with God takes trust because it means I'm moving out of the driver's seat and I'm letting him into that space. This is the challenge. Our heart determines the course of our life, but we don't want to get out of the driver's seat. The first time I went to Rome, the thing that surprised me most of all is the way that they drive. They all drive small little cars because Rome is so, it's a city. So nobody wants to drive a station wagon. You'll never park. The thing about it is they drive by feel. And we're foreign to that. It's not uncomfortable. It's not uncommon for them to like bump you with their bumper. And they're kind of saying, move over. We were watching this lady park. And so she's got two cars here and she's coming to get in and she couldn't quite make it. So she was like, I'll just bump them backwards a little bit and then bump this car forward a bit and they get in and then they're fine. And that's how they drive. Because everybody knows. It's like it's tight. And so, you know, we just, that's why we have bumpers. We just bump each other. And she's perfectly comfortable with the fact she's probably going to get bumped as they come out. That's how they drive. The point is this. If you had to drive in Rome, you would be shocked. <laughs> because for one thing, you're driving on the other side of the road. So now you're trying to navigate this and you're on the wrong side. And then you don't know where you are and you have no map and you have no directions. And because you never grew up there and because you haven't lived there long enough, you have no sense of where anything is. Your bearings are gone and you don't know if this is a one-way street or whether it goes that way. And why is the traffic coming in the wrong direction? And why is it that this street ended up in a T-junction and that one was a dead end and I couldn't go anywhere? And then the pedestrians walking all over the place and all that ends up happening is I try myself, I find myself trying to move someplace and I'm trying to get somewhere, but I don't really get anywhere. And I find myself lost and I find I can't have direction and I, I kind of am going in circles. That's what happens when we take control of our heart. We don't know why our life ends up that way because you know what? 
we don't have God in the driver's seat. The thing about it is, don't drive in Rome. Get a taxi. Get an Uber. Get out of the seat and get a driver. Get somebody who knows what they're doing. Because you know what? They jump in and off they go. And you'll sit there and you'll hold on for dear life. Because you've never had to drive there. But they know where they're going. They know the fastest routes. They know what you should be doing and what you need to look out for. They know where to turn and where not to turn. They know how to get you there. And they're moving you in a direction. And before you know it, you'll be in your destination. And you don't have to do anything but trust them. It's the problem. God knows the course of our life. We don't know the course of our life, but we want to drive in Rome. And we don't understand why things keep happening in this and we're going around in circles. And haven't I already been here eight times? How am I back in the same place? And I keep repeating patterns in my life and all of this stuff keeps going on. Why? Because I'm driving in Rome and I won't get out of the driver's seat. I'm driving in Rome. And that's the challenge with us. The thing about it is he's gifted you with something which has the potential to change the course of your life. But the thing about it is you can misuse the gift. He gave it to you because it was designed for me to walk into partnership with him. He gave it to me because it was designed to move into a place where I had enough trust in him that I was prepared to sit and say, I'm stepping out of the driver's seat. You take control. You're going to drive me. He's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to get out. Get out. He's going to do some stuff in your life that you're not able to do, but you've got to get out of the seat. The point of it is this. The reason that he's given you that is because he wants to come into that space and he's going to redefine that space. He's going to come in and all of a sudden he's going to begin to mold your character and he's going to, be, he's going to move to a place where he's going to start to shape your influence and ultimately he's going to craft your destiny. When he talks about molding your character, what he's saying is, I'm going to show you who I am. Because when you discover who I am, you're going to have a face-to-face look at who you're supposed to be. I'm showing you your destiny to be conformed to my image. I've given you my spirit because my spirit is there to take the things of me. He's there to take love, joy, peace. Righteousness, goodness. What is he doing? He's taking those aspects of who I am and he's beginning to introduce them to you. He's changing who you are. He's changing how you live. He does some stuff in your life that you're not capable of doing. No matter how hard you try, you are not capable of generating joy in your life. Put yourself at a party after the wedding and you'll be happy. It doesn't mean you have joy. You can't build peace into your life because when I'm anxious and I'm nervous and everything's turning on the inside of me, it don't tell me to be peaceful. It doesn't help because it's nothing I can do. I need something burst on the inside of me. I need something put on the inside of me from his divine ability and his capacity because I'm not capable of doing those things. I'm introducing you to the fact that I'm going to change your character. I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to birth some stuff on the inside of you so that you don't recognize yourself anymore. But if you've got to do that, you're going to have to get out of the seat. As long as you want to hold on to your angst and your nervousness, you're staying in the seat. As long as you're in that place where you want to worry about stuff, you're staying in the seat. I'm sitting in the seat. 
Why does he want to do that? Because it's so much bigger than just getting you established in a place where I'm solid and I'm secure and I'm comfortable in the knowledge of who he is and what he's done for me. Because he understands that he's put other principles in place. And one of them is the principle of sowing and reaping. What you take and defines who you are is what's going to come out of you into your world. And when you're putting into your world nervousness and hate and ugliness and criticism and I'm sowing. I'm sowing seeds. And then I don't understand my, what my world looks like. I don't know why people don't like me. Excuse me. I don't know why people don't want to be with me. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. But when I allow him to change who I am, and influence that, life is going to happen. But there's something when you get to a place where it's like, you know what? I feel just patient about this. I can manage it. It's okay. And as a result of living from a place of patience, I put different things into my environment than when I'm chicken with its head chopped off, running around, squeaking, carrying on, using all kinds of profanity because life shouldn't have happened the way that it is. And this is not fair and this is not right. Blah, 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 blah. What are we putting out? I'm sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds of love, patience, goodness, mercy. When I sow that stuff, what I'm doing is, it's not just something that affects who I am, but it's something that's starting to create the world in which I find myself. That's so good. Mm. Course of your life. Mm. Course of your life. Mm. But he's not just going to take and begin to mold your character, but he's also going to take it and he's going to begin to introduce us to your influence. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about your faith. What he's saying is, what lives on that, what did I do with my water? Ralph, won't you please? Thank you. What he's saying is, what defines that space is what we live from. When your character becomes defined by him, I feel different about who I am. I look at things differently. I encounter things differently. And I deal with things differently. That's all about me and my character. But when it comes to my influence, it's either about my skill set, my ability and what I can do, or it's about, let's let Christ be born on the inside of me. Because when Christ gets born on the inside of me, I'm introduced to something called, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me suddenly the parameters of my life shift and change because I'm no longer dependent on me. It comes with responsibility. Responsibility is this. I no longer take charge for my life. Sometimes we end up in trouble because I want to run off and do the things that I want to do and I'm looking for God to bless them. And that's how I end up in error and all kinds of stuff. But when I move to that place where I have intimacy of relationship with him and I allow him to be birthed on the inside of me and who he is and what he's all about, what ends up happening is he begins to communicate to me and speak to me about his plans and purposes for my life. And when I hear that and I'm able to walk into that space, I walk in with confidence. Why? Because I didn't initiate it. I didn't orchestrate it. I didn't author it. He did. And if he authored it, he's going to finish it. 
And so I begin to live from a different place because I'm moving into life with a confidence that I never used to have before. Not because I did anything, but because he's living inside me. Because he's understa- I understand the fact that he is beginning to influence the course of my life. I'm no longer just sitting there as a victim, letting things happen to me. I'm beginning to move into a different arena and into a different space. John 6.63. It's a spirit that gives life. The fresh profits nothing. The invitation is this. Stop living in the natural. Stop living by your brain. Stop living by your abilities. Those things are good and they have their place in terms of the natural. But the focus of your life and who you are is to be your heart. It's to be that center part, the spirit part to who you are. It's the spirit that gives life. You know what dwells in the spirit? The things that are significant. It's the intangibles. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about life? Everything that we believe lives in that space. Our convictions come from that space. Our moral quotient comes from that space. The things that drive the emotions that make me feel the way that I do are harbored in that space. My heart is an important place. The mind is an important place. The invitation is to live from there because in that space, the Holy Spirit has the ability to bring about influence and change in a meaningful way. Our heart becomes so important to us. The flesh talks about your abilities and your naturals and your, your hands and your gifts and your brain. The thing about your brain is the brain introduces you to function. It's utilitarian. It's taking care of stuff. Taking care of stuff is never a place to meet God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says, let me quote it for you. Uh, uh, uh. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know what it's speaking about? It's speaking about the things of God are consequential and they're designed to influence the course of your life. They're designed to influence the very foundation to who you are as a person. They're designed to be spiritual. They are spiritual in nature. That's what they are. What he's saying is don't take things that are spirit and try to process them through your mind because that's reasoning. It's logic. The challenge with it is it introduces us to a form of godliness, but it denies the power of him to do anything in my life. I can tell you about God. I can tell you about goodness. I can tell you about love. I can tell you about what it means to be a kind person. I can tell you what it means to be an overcomer. I can quote all the verses of scripture for you, but I've never experienced the power. It's never changed me. I know a lot of stuff, but I've never met the person. The power goes with the person. The power goes with the person. He's inviting me to move to a space where I don't live by my ability and my reasoning, but I understand that he is valuable. And in that space, I move to a place where I connect with the Holy Spirit. And I say, Holy Spirit, I need for you to do some stuff in my life that I can't do for myself. 
the course of our life, the course of our life. So I, ha- I helped Vivian with her science homework every now and again, and I was looking at metamorphosis. Worms, big, fat, wrinkly worms. The thing about a big, fat worm is all it does is live on the ground and chomp. That's all it does. Sits down there and becomes Colton's fishing bait. The thing about it is, if you ever had to speak to a worm, you know what the funny thing about it is? Those little caterpillar things, you know what they would say to you? I would love to fly. I'd love to fly. I'm stuck down here. But I look at something like a butterfly, and it's so liberated. It's so free. It can go and it can do things that I couldn't do. It has perspectives that I don't have. If only I could be a butterfly. And so God introduced something called the process of metamorphosis, which means changing from one form into another form. You know what it means? The butterfly, uh, the, the caterpillar is going to learn how not to be a driver in Rome. For the caterpillar to become a butterfly is going to cost him everything. Unless you prepare to die, you will never fly. In the words of Red Bull, if you don't have wings, you'll never fly. If you don't have wings, you'll never fly. There's no point being the caterpillar and trying to get some wings and changing the way you look and painting yourself and flapping your arms as much. It does nothing. But if you're prepared to sacrifice everything, if you're prepared to sacrifice everything, if you're prepared to get out of the driver's seat, it'll open the opportunity for you to move into a dimension that you wouldn't know otherwise. Second Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the God, are being transformed. You're, becoming, you're being, going through the process of a metamorphosis into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, whatever, something like that. What he's saying is this. This is what he's saying. This is what's important. When he talks about the glory, he's talking about the presence of the person of God. And when you recognize that and you see that, we're being transformed into that. He's saying, take a look. Do you see me? You're looking at your, you're looking at your destiny. You've come face to face with your destiny. That's who you are to be. You know what the problem with us as people? We don't recognize the value of death. 
Death is a somber thing. Death is a terrible occasion. Death is about the end of life, the cessation of being. Terminal point. Nothing more than that. Once it gets there, that's it. It, There's nothing. The only thing you do is put it in the ground. It's gone. Death is not something we look at in any kind of a positive light. Do you know what Jesus says? Why not? You know why? Because the things that keep you trapped in the driver's seat, you are never going to be able to change by yourself. You can't shift the fact that, you know what, I feel terrible about who I am. And I live with this persistent sense of guilt about the fact that I'm not good enough. I struggle with the fact that no matter where I go, I have this raging temper that comes out. I can't change it. I don't see myself ever being successful in life. I don't see a good future to myself. I don't see things working out. Everything is stacked against me. Try and change it. You won't. And so what he invites us into is something called death. What he's saying is, you created that. Because I wasn't in the picture when it came into being. But don't worry about it. I'm not asking you to change it. I'm not asking you to modify it. I'm not asking you to pretty it up. I'm not asking for you to do anything other than recognize the fact that you can die to it. Because the way that you get rid of that stuff in your life is that you put it to death. Death is a wonderful thing in the kingdom of God. Death is a wonderful thing because it's a way that we're able to step outside of the shackles of things that have kept us in bondage for years and we weren't able to get out of. Death is the way that we step out of all of those places where I was just stuck and I couldn't get rid of it. And that habit that used to plague me forever and a day, I finally was able to put it to death. I only got free when it died. There are things in our life, the only way that you can get free of them is you've got to go through death. It's not about you dying. You're alive. He's talking about that aspect of your personality, your character that you've created. And he's like, you know what? Sometimes we lose perspective of the fact that when we talk about things like sin and holiness, basically they have their ultimate manifestation in our heart. The things that define us come from one of those two natures. It defines who we are. So in that space, we have aspects of us that God's like, hey, you know what? Do you want to kill that? (laughs) Don't go through life with your finger on your pulse all the time. Am I in? Am I out? You know what? Live! Live life! Christians should get out there and you know what when it comes to wedding celebrations they should be the biggest partiers you know why because the thing about it is you got something to celebrate we got such weird shackles that we put on ourselves that we don't allow the truth of who he is and the liberation of what he's provided for us to come out and let it express itself through us so people don't look at us and they sit and say 
there's somebody who's been through death. They say there's someone who looks like death. It's all those people at the beach today supposed to be in church. Why? Because you know when he starts to do something on the inside of you, it's going to change you. It's going to shift some stuff. It's going to move some stuff on the inside of you. You're going to be a different person. Why? Because I'm living in a process where I'm recognizing the fact that I can get out of the driver's seat. And the way that I get out of the driver's seat is by putting some stuff to death. Letting go of it so I can step out of it. It's the only way that you free yourself from the shackles. That's why he invites us into that. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. I've got it here somewhere. Here. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also he doesn't just come with an invitation to die. He comes with the opportunity of resurrection life. What he's saying is, if you will take that anxiety and that stress and you'll put it to, get to death, you know what I'll do? I'll give you my peace. Get out of the driver's seat. Let peace come in. If you live with a heaviness of heart and things are tough and life is dark, and things are not easy. And I never see the light at the end of the tunnel. You've got to put it to death. Come on. But when you put it to death, he'll give you his joy. Yeah, you, will. Good. you can't have anxiety and peace sharing the, the steering wheel. Only one can drive. Only one can drive. So he's putting some stuff to death, but he's putting some stuff to death with the intention of doing something else. If you have a look at, um, actually, let me get to that in a minute. What does he want to do? What he's wanting to do is this. When I created you, I built you in such a way that I gave you a thing called a heart. A heart is the essence of your being. It's that space that allows you and I to come into a place where we can commune and we can have relationship. It's a place where I'm able to make impartations to who you are. And as you move into that arena, what you're going to begin to do is you're going to discover some stuff. And one of the things you're going to discover is the fact that I'm not wanting you to do some stuff, but some things are going to have to be birthed in you. I'm the one responsible for birthing them. You're responsible for coming to the cross and sitting saying, I'm happy to put it to death. So what he's saying is, I'm wanting to be birthed in you all the time. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, we see that you're a great teacher and we see all of these miracles that you're doing. And they start to have a conversation about this. And what Nicodemus essentially is sitting saying is, I like the way you live. I like what you're about. I like the way that you have a disposition to life and circumstances and situations. The way that you interact with people is different to anybody that I've known. And I'm a religious man. Tell me what I do to get this. And so, God, so Jesus says something interesting to him. In verse 3, he says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
What he's talking about is literally being born again. Unless you move to that place where you sit and say, Jesus, I need you as Lord and Savior of my life, and I need for you to come into this space. That's being born again. And so the very life of Christ comes in and changes us, and I become a brand new creation in Christ. And part of that process is to take my heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. So it puts me at a place where I'm able to interact and be sensitive to and hear the promptings and the influence of the Spirit in my life. But what he says is, now that you and I are working in a place where there is relationship between us, I'm wanting to do something called renew your mind. Your mind is a synonym for your heart. It's the very center of your spirit being. It's that place that gives us the capacity to think about who we are and what we're all about and how we live and the decisions we make. And what he's saying is in that space, I want you to renew your mind. Once you get born again, you have the spirit of God on the inside of you. But in verse five, he says, unless a man be born of the water and born of the spirit, he can never enter the kingdom of God. There's a big difference. I can see the kingdom and I can appreciate the kingdom. When you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit is gonna take the things of God and reveal them to you. Revelation. Suddenly the Bible makes sense where before I read it 40 times when I wasn't born again and I didn't really understand half of what it was carrying on about. What happened? All of a sudden the eyes of my understanding were opened and I began to see things and all of a sudden it began to make sense to me. I can see the kingdom. I can see the kingdom. What he's saying is, but if you want to participate in the kingdom, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be born of the water and born of the spirit. The water is the word of God. What he's saying is in that space where he and I are in communication with one another, where he's talking, the Holy Spirit is taking the things of Jesus and he's revealing them to us. And he's saying, have a look at this. Do you see this? Would you like to participate in that? It's an invitation. It's an invitation. What he's saying is, are you prepared to get out of the driver's seat so I can move in with that? I've got to make a decision about what I want to do. The thing about it is, what comes into that space is nothing that I can create, but it's born of the spirit. Things in the spirit realm are born. They are not made by me. There's nothing I can do to make them. They have to be born by the Spirit. He takes the things of Christ and he imparts them to me. It is a spiritual exercise. That's what brings about the change and the transformation in who I am. It's nothing I can do, otherwise it's a works program. It's full dependence on the Spirit doing something on the inside of me. Because I recognize the fact that when I get into relationship with him, as he begins to change who I am, as he begins to build a new foundation to my life, it moves me to a place where I can live differently. I'm changing the course of my life. I'm changing the course of my life. One John five verse four says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. It's nothing of us that's able to overcome what's happening in your world and in your situations. There's certain things that you can manage a little better because perhaps you have some experience and some training and some knowledge and some know-how. But if you want to move to a position where God begins to have an influence in our world and in our life, he's going to do it from the inside out. 
He's going to begin to do some stuff inside here so he can make deposits in terms of who he is. And he starts to bring bring congruence between who I am and who he is. He's introducing us to the reality that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why is that so important? Good question, huh? I thought about that, and I'll, what I would propose is this. It's important because it brings presence. Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 6. Centurion comes to Jesus, and um, he says, actually, the, the one in Luke is, is probably a better. It doesn't matter anyway. He comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, um, I need something from you. What brought him to Jesus? Hope. Hope. What brought him to Jesus was hope. What brought him to Jesus was he had heard some stuff about Jesus. He knew some stuff about what Jesus was capable of doing. And what he had heard had done something on the inside of him which had generated something called hope. Hope is of me. Hope is what drove him to the place where he said, let me go and let me get together with Jesus. And what he said, I know you're capable of doing some stuff. I know you can do some things that I'm not capable of doing. Will you? Will you heal my servant? In that very moment, there's something very important about that. Recognize where the source of power lies. Not with him, but with Christ. That's where the source of power lies. He comes to the source of power and he says, will you do something for me? Will you heal my servant? Up until this point, everything has been motivated by hope. But the moment that Jesus opened his mouth and Jesus said, I will come and heal your servant. In that moment, hope shifted to faith. Why? Because I got something from the Christ, from the anointed one. I got a commitment from him. I got a commitment from the source of power that said, I'll do something. Faith is something born on the inside that comes from God. It's nothing that I do. I can live by hope, but hope is not going to get the job done. Hope will bring you to Christ. But once you get to Christ, you've got to get something from him. You've got to get a word from him. You've got to get a commitment from him. You've got to get something that says to you, I'm going to do it. If you don't have that, we live by hope. That's what he got from Jesus. That's what he got from the Christ when he was in that space. And because of that, the word faith is actually pistis and it talks about having like a divine confidence. When you're at a place where you're together with the Christ and he tells you that he's going to do something, trust me, it translates into divine confidence. When God tells you, let's do it, you, you're pretty safe on that one. It's divine confidence, but it came from presence. It came from presence. And it changed into divine confidence, a faith, an impartation, something given to me from God, something that I couldn't get on my own, but I had to get it from him. 
It's like the, the bully child who suddenly walks onto the playing field with his dad. And he's like, I'm with him. This is the source. It's not me anymore. He'll take care of the problem. That's what happens when we get together with God. That's what the invitation is. And so it becomes important because Jesus had a look at him and Jesus said, you know, there's no greater faith in all of Israel. This was fantastic. Why? Because he responded to what the source of power had said. And he was like, I don't need to be there. All I need to know that you committed to doing that. How you do it is up to you. I'm not interested in that. It's okay. I just want to know that you'll do it. That was faith. Jesus says, there's been no greater faith in all of Israel. What does it mean for us? The reason that he's wanting to take up residence on the inside of you is because he's looking for relationship. Because he's trying to position himself. He's taking the person and the presence and putting it inside of you. And I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And as you go through life and as you experience stuff, when you know about who I am and what I'm all about and a God who loves you and a God who cares for you and a God who provides for you and a God which is the kingdom of everything that you need that is on the inside of you, it'll take you to a place where I will come to you. What brings me to you is the hope because I know that you're the source of power. I know you're the source of everything that I need. And when I come to him, it's sitting saying, talk to me about this. Not my direction, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Talk to me. What am I trying to get? I'm trying to get something from him where he says, you know what? I'll do this. Why? Because it's an impartation that comes from him. And when it comes from him, it's something called faith. It starts to establish a new foundation to my life that I begin to live on. All of a sudden, I can stand and I can work with confidence on that foundation because it never came from me. It came from him. I can live in the expectation that it's going to come to pass. Why? Not because of me. I'm not the one responsible for the fulfillment of it. If he said it, he will do it. Our relationship with God is designed to be intimate and personal. It's not designed to be something that I just live by with a set of formulas. I can't just quote 15 verses and run out and sit and say, amen, it's going to happen. The verses are good. The verses are important because it begins to give us definition to who he is. But it's an invitation to relationship. Every, any area of your life where you're sitting saying, there's a challenge, there's a struggle, there's a deficit, there's something here that I, I need something more about. Get together with the word of God and the Holy Spirit and sit down and start to go through those scriptures with him. Start to read about him in a practical sense. You're looking for God to be your provider? Put out all the scriptures on provision. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Start reading through all of the scriptures and don't just read it, but do it in the context of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Begin to think about it. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. What happens? All of a sudden, I'm beginning to do some stuff and I'm starting to walk into a way of living where I'm sitting saying, I know what my reality is. I understand that. But I'm not going to get sucked into that space where that begins to define everything. I'm living from what's happening inside here. I'm recognizing the value of the spirit dimension 
And I'm wanting to bring that to play into my circumstances. Our, we were created and our lives were, were built around the idea of relationship with God. There is a sacred place that is really defined and reserved for he and I, which is called my heart. In that space, he's looking to come in and make you new to introduce us to who we really are. Christ is wanting to take up residence in me. He wants to make that his home. Death is a wonderful thing for the believer because you will live forever, but you can put to death some stuff that you don't want in your life anymore. But as you put stuff to death, Leave open the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and birth the things of Christ on the inside of you and get those things established. It establishes a new foundation to our life and a meaningful interaction between us and the Holy Spirit, a place that we can live from. Can we all stand, please? Father, I want to thank you for people of destiny. I want to thank you, Father, for people of destiny. I want to thank you that as people develop their appetite for things of the Spirit, and as they move into that realm and that dimension, and as they begin to explore life with you, I want to thank you for moments of discovery and revelation. I want to thank you for spiritual impartations which are made into them. I want to thank you for newness that is birthed, life that takes root, seeds that grow, and fruit that is born. Jesus, I want to thank you for your death and resurrection. I thank you for the invitation that you've made and the opportunity that you've presented to us to take those things that have kept us shackled and bound and to bring us to a place where we can put them to death so that we can embrace life. In Jesus' name, amen.